Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. Um, can we can we start um, by just standing on our feet this morning? Can we um, just honor the Lord um, in His presence? Um, I just kind of wanted before, like I got started, um, I was just wanting to. Um, just kind of minister to his heart a little bit. Just kind of love on him a little before we start. Because um, I think that's so important. Just that we that we touch him, that we love him. Because he's about to speak to us. And when we love on him, when we're intentional to do that, it shows him that we're not just coming to him to get something. We're actually coming to give something. So can we just do that? Can we just posture ourselves right now? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We just worship you this morning. We glorify you in this place. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one our hearts adore. Thank you, Jesus. We long to know you more. We long to know what you're doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, just if you know if you know how to pray in tongues, can you just pray in tongues for a little bit? Just just between you and him. If you don't know how to pray in tongues, can you just set your heart just to to love him? If you need to pray in English, pray in English. But just just touch him for just a, a few more seconds. Just a few more seconds. No one 
moon is full of more compassion, more mercy, more love, more tenderness than you, Jesus. So you can be, you can be the softest, most sweet, most loving, but at the same time, you're the most powerful, you're the strongest, you're the most mighty. And so we come before you this morning just knowing that we are in the presence of the one. Jesus, if you're not here, I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> not at all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. attitude let's just not um, let's not miss you know what he's doing right here so I was thinking dad told me um, last Sunday he was like I want you to bring the word on Sunday and I was like okay um, that sounds good <laughs> and so I'm thinking what to bring this morning uh, the only thing that he gave me was Jesus. That's, that's all I have to give. Um, and so I hope you're ready because that's, that's all you're going to get. If you don't like Jesus, well, sorry, you came to the wrong place. Um, yeah. You see, church, church is not about people. This right here, you sitting there in your seat, this is not for you. Just want to make that very clear. Um, if you come to church and you think that you're coming for you, uh, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not what we do this for. We come to church for him. We do church for Jesus. Um, and, and for a long time, I grew up with that mentality on church was I was coming to church for me. Um, but I'm sorry, that's not it. Um, and I heard a statistic um, it was from Dan Moeller. Uh, if some of you guys have ever heard of Dan Moeller, he shared a statistic, and it wasn't it wasn't an exact. He didn't have an exact. Uh, he, he knew it was, it's in the ninety percent range somewhere, but he said ninety something percent of churches in America today preach on what God will do for you. And man, that's a scary place to be. Um. Because yeah, we want you to be successful in life. God desires us to live life to the fullest. God desires us to actually know what it's like to walk in his goodness, to walk in his mercy and to walk in his grace. But if we don't know Jesus, if we don't know the son, all that is vanity. None of that has any um, sustainability whatsoever. And we're living in a day and a time where our worlds have been rocked. They've, for some of us, our worlds have been shattered. But let me tell you, Jesus is constant. And this may sound elementary, this may sound simple, but I believe the church needs to come back to the simplicity of the gospel. We're too busy looking around for fancy, fancy one-liners and things that get people to stand up and go, way to go, that ministered to me. Well, I'm sorry, if you walk out of here ministered or not, that's on you. My heart is that when we leave this place, we've touched the King's heart in a manner that he is moved to want to come and manifest himself in a new way on our behalf. 
And we can only accomplish that if we look to the King. If we look into his eyes that are like fire, his eyes that are burning with a fierceness and a passion for me and for us. And so if we're not fixing our eyes on Jesus, on the King, then we'll look around and think that our world is so broken. You don't look at something as broken if you have the answer. You look at it as what it's going to be. Like dad, the other day, and first I just wanna honor you and mom. I mean, 28 years of marriage, I can't say just how thankful I am um, for the way that you all have led privately at home um, because 28 years of marriage, if that says one thing, that says that you all honor and love and respect one another. But more than that, you love, honor, and respect Jesus and hold him as ultimate in your relationship and therefore 28 years of marriage. So I love you all and thank you so much just for what you've done for me and be how you've modeled what it's supposed to look like. So I love you all so much. Um, and so, yeah, the church is not about people. The church is about Jesus. And so, you know, we, we know the scripture, John's, uh, John 3.16. We all know that scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What is everlasting life? Growing up, I always thought everlasting life. Okay, so I'll, I'll experience everlasting life. So that's when I die. I'll experience everlasting life in heaven, in eternity. Sorry, that's not what he's referring to here. John 17, verse three, gives us a very clear picture on what eternal life is. In the Passion Translation, I love how it says it, John 17, three, it says that eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you've sent. It, eternal life is knowing Jesus. It's knowing the one. It's looking at him and saying, you're all I need. You're all I want. You wanna know how to live a successful life? I'll give you the key right here. It's Jesus. You fix your eyes on him and you say, all right, what are we doing? There's some people and they think, you know, well, you're just obsessed or you just talk about Jesus a lot. Yes. That's exactly right. And I heard a story that Michael Culianos told where he was doing an interview with a pastor friend of his and they were sitting down and they were, he, this, his pastor friend had a TV show and they had 26 minutes. And so he sits down with his pastor friend and, 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 and his friend said, all right, well, what are we going to talk about? And Michael looked at him and he said, um, we're going to talk about Jesus. And he was like, all right. And, and, and what else? And he was like, uh, I don't know, we could talk about golf or, you know, we could talk about something else. And the pastor, and he's like, but I really don't have anything else. And the pastor looked at him and said, but we have 26 minutes to fill. And Michael Koulianos looked at him and said, bro, we could go for 26 days. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. Like he, he, he wrecked my heart. He saved my soul. He completes me. And so they started the, the TV thing. <laughs> TV thing. They started the program, went through the whole 26 minutes. The pastor looked at Michael afterwards and said, you just talked about Jesus for 26 minutes. Shocked. And Michael said, the crazy thing was this pastor was a pastor of a congregation of 15,000 people. 
Like, when did talking about Jesus become so baseline? When did, it be, when did we become so familiar with Jesus that we don't have to talk about him all of a sudden? You know, some people, the most brilliant minds in the medical fields devote their lives to talking about the same medications, some of the same procedures that they have to do, because why? They're obsessed with their work. So if we, as the church, we can't come to a place of being like, okay, Jesus, he's cool, but now tell me about grace, compassion, love, mercy, prosperity. You can't separate God from his gifts. You can't separate Jesus from his presence. You can't. And so I think that it's important because the church has allowed itself to slip into something that I just think is so demonic. And maybe you've heard of this term before, but it's the term, my truth. And I know some of us in this room have heard it. You know, what, what is your truth? What is your truth? You know, or I'm going to live this way. You know, like I love Jesus and everything. You know, it's, it's, this, this is my truth and that's your truth. You know, bro, there's nothing more demonic because the very strategy of the enemy is to pollute the image of Jesus. And I'm sorry to break it to you. No, I'm not sorry. I'm actually bold to break it to you that Jesus is the way. Come on, help me. The and the He's the truth. If there's anything outside of truth, it's outside of Jesus. Therefore, it's demonic. Call me radical. Call me extreme. But I'm sorry, that's the world we live in. There's no middle ground. And if you are in the middle ground, he's going to spit you out. And so it's important that we move past the my truth and get to the truth and walk in that, walk in Jesus. When we walk in Jesus, we look at the world differently. We did a conversation recording this last week and we were talking about um, just, I had posted something to my Instagram account and it was a video of some doctors that were talking about uh, a possible um, medication that they have put patients on and every single one of their patients has recovered from COVID as a result of this medication that they were using or this combination of medications. So I took that video and I, and I shared it to my story because I'm like, you know, I see hope in this. I see, I see love in this, like pure love from these doctors to want to save their patients. And so I shared it and the next day Instagram, Instagram took it down or actually not the next day, but a few hours later, Instagram like pulled it off of my feed. Um, And I was like, okay, (laughs) I've never been censored before. Like that's new to me. Um, And so I took the video, found it again, and I reposted it to my story. Uh, And then they basically like blurred it out showing that it contains false information. And I was like, okay, all right, you know, it's kind of a different feeling, you know, when you get censored. I've, I've never been censored before, so it's kind of a different feeling. Um, but I just wanted to prepare you guys. That's kind of the world we live in right now, but I'm getting to something. So, so I got censored, and I was just kind of thinking, I was like, okay, like, I live in a nation where the First Amendment says that I have freedom of speech. Like, I have freedom of speech. I can go out into the street, and I can say, this video I saw contains medication that will actually save your life instead of hurt you. But, you know, then I get on social media and I post something like that and it's taken down. And so I was just thinking about, um, 
it could be very easy for me to look at the executives at Instagram or Facebook and be like, well, they're just, they're, they're really messed up. It could be so easy for me to look at them and say, they're the problem. But I'm sorry, we have to come up higher in our thinking. If we look at people as the problem, we are unwilling. Well, we're, we're actually becoming a ploy of the enemy's strategy. Satan hates people. Every time I look through the Gospels, I never see a moment in history of Jesus walking the earth where he ever demeans human life. Never. And so for me to look at a politician or a big tech company executive or someone that has a lot of power that's making decisions that I don't agree with, how dare I look at them and say, you're retarded or what? You're so stupid. Like I'm giving in to the enemy's ploys. Are they, do, do I have to agree with them? No. Do I know what they're doing is wrong? Yes. But what do I need to do? Instead, we need to go to the root of the issue, which is they are being influenced by the spirit of darkness. We can't solve a second heaven issue with a first world solution or a first heaven solution. You can't. I mean... Bring it back to elementary level. If you just take a weed and you just pull it like that, it's going to grow up again. You got to take it from the root issue of things. And so I looked at that and I was like, you know what? The very plan of the enemy is he wants us to put labels on people because you can't love a label. It's easy for me to look at someone and say, you're a racist and hate them for it because I'm removing the fact that they are a human being out of the equation and instead I'm saying you're a racist and I can't love that. I don't love the spirit of racism. But if instead I look at someone that's struggling with racism in their lives and I remember the fact that there's a human being that their life is being affected by this spirit, this perverse spirit, and instead I look past what they're doing, and I look at the person and I say, you know, we need to get to the root issue of this thing. I can love a person. And the very fact of the enemy is he's trying to move Jesus outside of the church and turn Jesus into a title and not a person. Because we can't love titles. We can only love people. And so it's so important that we keep our eyes fixed on the king because we're living in a day and time where we have to walk in discernment. We have to know Jesus. We have to know. I heard this amazing example the other day to where Moses comes in to Pharaoh's throne room and he throws down his staff. God tells him to throw down his staff and it turns into a snake. And then Pharaoh has his magicians And they come in and they throw down their staffs and their staffs turn into snakes. Now, picture with me, you walk into the room at that moment. What do you see? You see a Hebrew, two Hebrew dudes, Pharaoh, his whole assembly and three snakes on the ground. How are you gonna know which one is the snake that that belongs to the men of Israel? You have to have discernment. Because when a move of God starts to happen, the enemy goes into panic mode and all he knows how to do is counterfeit. So he's going to try and start his own move that slightly looks like and is similar to, but perverts the motivation of the original thing. 
And so that's why we have to walk in discernment. And I heard a pastor in Florence, Kentucky, who is a general in the faith, and he only said like two things to me, but I've never forgot them because they've had that much of an impact on my life. And the first thing he said to me was, with sin in your life, you can forget about discernment. With sin in your life, you can forget about it. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and it was like, is it possible to live a life free of sin? I feel like the church has slightly glazed over this subject because the church has given in to the temptation or the, the, the mindset of if we give people the answer, then they won't be as dependent on us and then maybe they won't keep coming and then our attendance will drop and then finances go down and then we're not gonna be as relevant as we used to be. Well, I'm sorry, but it is possible to live a life free of sin and it's not by coming to church. You come to church to get empowered to love him more. And don't even get me started on the corporate anointing. That's another thing entirely. That's crazy cool. But when we come to him, how do you live a life free from sin? You fix your eyes on Jesus because it's impossible to look at perfection and want to do this over here. You lock eyes with Jesus and he has all of you. He wants all of you. It's impossible for you to look at him and desire other things. You can't do it. But there's so many times people struggle because they take their eyes off of the king. They take their eyes off of Jesus. Simple example, Peter walking on water. He's walking on water. He's locking eyes with Jesus and he's on top. Looks away and he's going down. If you feel like you're on top right now, don't say, well, hey, get ready because it's about to hit. If you're on top right now, it's like, all right, let's keep doing what we've been doing. Keep your eyes on the king. And let me tell you something too. Like this isn't even in my notes. I don't even know where I'm going. It's just Jesus. But like he's saying, don't follow Jesus because of a good life. Does Jesus make your life better? Yes. Does your life get harder? Yes. The Bible says that. The Bible says, take joy when you endure trials of various kinds, for they will, per, they will actually make perseverance, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all this kind of stuff is all as a result of these trials and tribulations that we're gonna go through. Look at the life of Jesus. I was reading in John, I think it was eight yesterday, and he's like talking to the Pharisees and just telling them truth just telling them who he is. And the Pharisees hated him so much that they want to stone him there on the spot. But it says that Jesus like evaded them some way. It didn't tell me exactly how he did it, but I'm trying to imagine how he did it. You know, it's like we have to be smart in the way that we live our lives because when we walk out those doors, people are going to see one or two things. They're going to see either Jesus or the world, which is demonic. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And so when you walk out those doors, who are you representing? Who are we showing? We're living in the first post-Christianity generation on earth. That's the first time in my life. Because I grew up like when I was born in the 90s, like everyone was a Christian, I felt like. I felt like everyone was a Christian. Because we also lived in Tulsa. And I knew everyone was a Christian in Tulsa. You know? I felt like that was a requirement to live there. But now we're living in the first post-Christianity generation on the history of the planet. Why? 
we can't allow ourselves to get so caught up in the rules and regulations and how you look, how you dress, how you act. When we see someone or we have a conversation with someone and say they just drop in F-bombs like crazy. Let me tell you what doesn't help. Hey, I'm sorry, can you not use that word? That does not help. Instead, what we look at is, okay, obviously this is coming from a place of hurt. And the only way you know how to properly articulate your feelings is to use that vocabulary. So I'm gonna meet you where you're at. Does that mean I'm gonna use it? No, but I'm gonna love you out of it. I used to curse like a sailor, nonstop. Every word, unfiltered, I didn't care. But then I fixed my eyes on Jesus. And I don't even remember how, but God stepped in through his sovereignty and said, nope, you don't need that. Guarantee you, you pursue Jesus. You love Jesus. You look to the one who's seated on the right hand of the Father, the one who is worthy of it all, the one who is beautiful, the ancient of days, the King of glory. And he, in his goodness, stuff will just naturally begin to fall off because you can't look at him and that stuff have a chance to stay on you. So instead of us having to make rules and regulations on how to prune people to the church model, instead, Jesus is saying, bring them to me and by encountering me all these other things will just fall off you don't have to do it yourself you don't have to try and work people out of their sin on your own bring them to Jesus and he does the work who am I to try and take someone's salvation and mold them and shape them into my image I'm sorry that's not church Acts chapter 2 was happened because a room full of people were united in prayer and it says in Acts 2 that they were or Acts 1 that they were gripped with one passion one passion what is that for not a successful ministry not a successful business not a successful life they were gripped with one passion and that was that the word of Jesus would be fulfilled in our days we need to be hungry for Jesus. You're hungry for Jesus. Your hunger for Jesus, will sh- you'll know, because everything else lines up through Jesus. It's so important. I heard this the other day, and I like wrote it down before he even said it, because it was so good. But it says that Jesus is either Lord of all, and you've maybe heard this term, Jesus is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. It's all or nothing, gather or scatter. And I wanna ask you this morning, what does he not have access to? And once you find out what that is, give it to him. We're living in days where you have to be radical. Look at the other side. Look at how loud people are. Look at how crazy things may be seeming. And let me tell you, the world is not in the worst shape it's ever been in. Just read your Bible. Like the the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. And so looking at the world today, it could be so easy for me to freak out. And I know that there's a lot of people, especially in my generation, that are freaking out because they have to raise kids in a world today. They have to try and prove who they are in a world that wants to tell them who they are before they even walk through the door. And I know that we have to be solidified in Jesus. And that tells me one thing. I can't speak anything other than him. I work in a warehouse with like 
I wanna say it's like 12 other guys. And some people think I work there to move furniture. I do not work there to move furniture. I'm probably more knowledgeable in furniture now than I ever have been, but that's just a byproduct of where I work. But God told me, he said, hey, I want you to go and work at this place because I want you to get in community. And so I was like, okay. So I went and I got a job. And now I'm working in furniture. My first like three or four weeks, I'm literally breaking down cardboard and throwing away styrofoam and plastic. You know what I'm talking about, Russ. Like it's literally, it's a grind. And I'm like not seeing people that much those first few weeks. And I'm just like, yo, what's going on? Like, Lord, you call me here to be in community. And I'm like over here next to the trash compactor, breaking down boxes all day. And the only human interaction I'm getting is when people when the customer service girls are quickly trying to walk by because they think I'm gonna hit on them, but I'm just saying, hey, good morning. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's funny. You guys know what I'm talking about. But, um, <laughs> but uh, and then, you know, just got to get to know more of the guys and, and I love those guys so much. And last week, uh, a buddy of mine that's been working there that's known his life isn't right. Um, he just got set on fire. I mean, radically, this guy is on fire for Jesus. And he's like, bro, you kept coming after me for a year and I'm so in love with Jesus. And I was like, how in the world did we get here? You know, some people you have to hold the hand of Jesus and then you have to hold their hand and be a gap stander. But then there's moments and this is where he wants us to be is when you make a connection. Now they're holding the hand of Jesus and we step back and we encourage them in their walk. And we don't encourage them by saying, all right, go live out your truth. You know what Jesus doesn't need? He doesn't need us to pursue our interpretation of who we think he is. He doesn't need us to pursue. Well, you know, Jesus, I think Jesus is like this. Obviously you've not been reading your Bible. There's only one Jesus. There'll only ever be one Jesus. There only is one Jesus. And he's right here in this book. And there's some times where we're like, well, what is the will of God? Look in the book, read the life of Jesus. My favorite book of all the gospels is John because he's the only disciple that was known as the one whom Jesus loved. And he actually is known as a love slave to Jesus. You look at Matthew and Matthew is obsessed with his genealogy, with his ancestry, right? You look at Matthew one and it's literally, Matthew's like, oh, and then he was related to this guy, he was related to this guy, he was related to this guy. And Matthew's like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, his, his genealogy is nuts. And then you look at Mark and Mark's like, like right to the chase. You're like, wait, is Jesus born yet? Oh, he's already been alive for a few years. Okay. You know, Mark's like right to the stuff. And then you go to Luke and Luke's like all philosophical. He's like all about the medical and he's like, mm, let's see. So he touched him on this side. And then look what carried over into this aspect of his life. Wow, that's very philosophical. And then you get to John and John's just like, huh. I just picture John just like on his knees in tears, just like, wow. And that describes who Jesus is. Like my favorite verse. I'm gonna try and find it. Oh, Jesus. It's like they're in the upper room and um, as they're in the upper room, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, um, you know, one of you will betray me. And it's actually, I'm probably not gonna be able to find it. <laughs> it's okay. Jesus watches his disciples' feet. 
Here, ah, thank you, Lord. Okay, so it's in John 13, verse 23. Um, well, I'll do from verse 22 down through 25. Um, and it says, this is after Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And it says, then Jesus moved deeply into his spirit. Looking at his disciples, he announced, I tell you the truth, one of you is about to betray me. In verse 22, eyeing each other, his disciples puzzled over which one of them could do such a thing. The disciple that Jesus dearly loved was at the right of him at the table and was leaning his head on Jesus. He was full on laying on Jesus. Peter gestured, I like this part. It says, Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus who it was he was referring to. Peter's too far from Jesus. So he motions to John and says, hey, ask him who it is. So Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus who it was he was referring to. Verse 25, then the dearly loved disciple leaned into Jesus' chest and whispered, master, who is it? It's very, I read that the other day and I was like, that's how I wanna live with Jesus. Right? The tone of his voice requires nearness. We have to get close to him, uncomfortably close. We have to draw ourselves to a place of knowing him, to a level of knowing it's going to cost us something, just like what dad talked about on tithes and offerings. We cannot dare give Jesus something that doesn't cost us something. It has to cost us something. Because when it costs you something, there's value in that people go out and they buy a new phone and they're like, oh, it's so nice. You know, and they put cases on it and screen protectors because they paid a lot of money for them. And they don't want them to get scratched. They don't want them to get dinged. They put them in their pocket. Why? Because they spend every second of every day on their phone. What makes Jesus any different? We confine him to a quiet time in the morning and then we walk out the door when instead he asked us to be in constant communion with him all the time, all the time. We have to know the one because if you don't know the one, you'll lose sight of why you're even on this track in the first place. In John chapter six, I'm not gonna really go into it much, but um, it talks, because we, we used to travel full-time and I know we've touched on that quite a bit. And like, we had a whole team of young people with us and we were seeing miracles, signs, wonders, incredible things happening. Uh, and one friend in particular, we were, uh, it was when our whole team was in the Dominican Republic and we were doing a crusade uh, in, in Banin, uh, Dominican Republic and they were doing an altar call for like healings and testimonies and everything um, and it was just like such a beautiful time and me and this person in particular like God led us to this side of the field it was in a baseball field and there were thousands of people and we went and we prayed for this gentleman who was in a motorcycle accident and he couldn't put any pressure whatsoever on his left foot and like his entire leg was messed up. He had crutches on and everything. And we prayed for him and 20 minutes later, he was running back and forth, his crutches in his hands and everything. And me and this person saw it happen right in front of our eyes. Like we prayed for him and we were like rejoicing. Everyone around them saw that. And now they're all like, pray for me, pray for me. And we're like, yes, you know, like Jesus. And so that happened. And then I find out like a couple months ago, they're like two or three people that are so near and dear to our hearts because we used to travel with them. We did life with them more than, 
you know, anyone else, because you travel together, you know people. And I found out that three people that are near and dear to my heart want nothing to do with God now. Want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And I'm like, where did this happen? How did we get here? How is it that you can see those things and then look at Jesus and say, I don't believe in you. Or look at God and say, I want nothing to do with you. How do you get to that point? Well, in John 6, it's after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then it says that they wanted to make him king, but Jesus pulled away to get alone to be with his father. Key point right there. Go and be with the father. Spend time with the father. And so anyways, the disciples are waiting for Jesus because Jesus said that they were going to cross over to the other side of the, of the sea. And, but they don't see Jesus. And so they just get in the boat and they up and leave Jesus. I think it's so savage of the disciples. I'm like, okay, you know, leave Jesus. And so anyways, they get halfway across this lake, which is about seven miles long. So they're about three and a half miles in. And Jesus is now walking on water because he's like, all right, what's up guys? Hard flex, you know? And then he gets into the boat. Only twice in the scriptures I ever see this happening. As soon as he gets in the boat, they're instantly transported to the other side of the, ra- uh, uh, of the lake, which is so awesome. And so they get there. And then it says the next day, the 5,000 that he fed noticed that he wasn't there. And so they track him to the other side of the lake to a city known as Capernaum. And so they track him there and they find Jesus. And they say, they say to him, In John 6, verse 25 and 26, he says, the people said to Jesus, teacher, how did you get here? And Jesus replied to them. He said, let me make this very clear. In verse 26, he said, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. We had people that saw crazy, amazing miracles, signs and wonders happen, yet they don't want anything to do with him. Because if you live by the miracles you see that happen in your day-to-day life, what are you gonna do the time that it doesn't happen? If a miracle doesn't happen, your salvation is in that thing happening. And then if it doesn't happen, you say, well, God, you're not faithful. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the life of Jesus. And Jesus said, if it happened for me, it can happen for you. And the church has gotten its mind so wrapped up in the thought of Jesus being this perfect man. And he is, I'm not taking away from the deity of Jesus whatsoever, but he is the great example. Jesus came and lived, he walked, he died. And then he said, do the same. Jesus said, live like me, live like him. And the church has gotten its mind wrapped up in this, in this ideological thinking that Jesus is so far beyond. We can never be like him. Well, I'm sorry. Jesus said, the things I've done, you will do. What is it? John 14, 12 things I have done, you will do. And greater things than these shall you see. Jesus is saying, walk in my footprints, walk in them. Walk out what I did. And we need a generation to rise up that is so in love with Jesus that we see mass stadiums filled, not for sporting events, but because they're hungry for the presence of the King. They're hungry for the King of glory. You know, there's churches that I've heard stories where they literally walk into the sanctuary and before they even sing a song, 
a woman is healed of cancer or someone is healed of leukemia on spot because the Lord dwells in that place so strong because in Acts chapter one, everyone in that room is gripped with one passion and it's not how quickly can I get out of here to go get lunch. They're gripped with a passion that says, God, I need to know you more. How can I know you more? How can I move your heart? How can I touch you in a way that I've never touched you before so I can see you in a way that I've never seen you before? And I want you to move past my thinking of you, Jesus. And I just want who you actually are because my thinking is limited, but you're unlimited. I can't stop. Paul says, I run the race to obtain the prize. No one ever said how fast you had to run. With my coworker who caught on fire at work, I'm like, bro, you never stop. It's not a phase you go through. It's a lifestyle you live. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you've slowed down or you feel like your fire has gone out, I believe God wants to reignite that fire and that burning passion on the inside of you this morning. He longs for us to walk not in a fullness of his grace, not in a fullness of his mercy, not even in a fullness of his salvation. He wants us to walk in a fullness of his son because all of that is wrapped in him. All of it is wrapped in him. And so, if it happened for Jesus, it has to happen for me. But it's up to me if it happens, it's my choice. He's not gonna force me to make that choice. So I wanna pray for you. I wanna like, I don't know, like, Lord, what else you got? But I just, I know that he wants to set, he wants to set some of us on fire this morning. Those of us who have just like lost a desire and a passion to know him more, he wants to reignite that on the inside of us. And I'm not just talking about a, re, a reviving of something that once was. I'm talking like a, a brand new hunger, brand new desire, a brand new burning for him. I'm hungry for it. I've not achieved the level of love in him that I want to, but man, I'm running after it. You hear people say, well, this life is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm sorry. Who said that? Who made up that phrase? Because that's just an excuse to stay in the current state where you're at. I can sprint towards Jesus however I want because I see other people that are running too and I see them pursuing Jesus and they're seeing amazing things. And just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if I see other people that are experiencing things that I'm not seeing, I'm like, Lord, how do I get there? And he's like, look at what they're doing. And it's the same thing across the board. They just love Jesus. I would much rather be a part of a church that's this size, that is in love with Jesus than a mega church that only wants to tickle my feet every Sunday. And I know that you guys are here because you just want Jesus. And that's all you're gonna get. Dad told me in preparation for this message, he said, look back at our other sermons and just kind of use those as a, as a uh, kind of a, um, a reference for what you're gonna speak on. And I look back and there's one thing that I saw that was all through it, Jesus. So yeah, let's, let's just, let's, let's humble ourselves this morning. And uh, once again, if you're not burning, if you're not on fire for Jesus, if you're not where you know you need to be, I wanna give you an opportunity right now. And if you don't make the decision right now, that's okay because there's always 
five minutes from now, there's 10 minutes from now, there's 12 minutes, there's 15 minutes from now. If you need to come up here to the altar and get your life right, I wanna encourage you to come up and do it because Jesus laid his life out in his most vulnerable state that we could know what it's like to live because he hung his body like a piece of meat on a cross and said, Jesus, Jesus. So if you know you need more of him, if you know you don't love him like you need to, if you know you've limited yourself from knowing him the way that you need to know him, get up here and meet with him. Meet with him. Love on him. Touch his heart. His heart is a buffet table. He's saying, go nuts. He's saying, just take me as I am. No longer come after your interpretation of who you think I am. He is, he is the great I am. He's the ancient of days. He's the son of God. He is the glory made manifest in the flesh. You can't separate him from his presence. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Jesus, come and fill our lives. Come and fill our hearts. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.